Well, good morning. We're glad that you are here this morning, and um, we do wish you a happy Father's Day. So back in 2009, three of us went to visit Wayne and Dee Johnson, who were teaching over at the Nairobi International School of Theology in Nairobi, Kenya. And we went over, uh, they had, uh, we had supported them for many years, and we wanted to see what was going on uh, in their work. But also, we wanted to try to figure out a place where we could go as a church and get involved. So they introduced us to a guy named Johnson Wambua. And Johnson took us into uh, his area of ministry, the Mathari Slums, just outside of Nairobi. Mathari Slums is about two miles wide, three miles the other way, two miles one way, three miles away, and 600,000 people uh, crowded in there. Raw sewage running down the street. Johnson was a graduate of Nairobi International School of Theology. He could pastor a church anywhere uh, in Kenya, but his calling is to the slums of, of Kenya. And so we went there. We had a great time with him. We came back. We shared a vision with some of you, and uh, many of you have gone. In fact, uh, I think every year since then, we have taken uh, a trip uh, to uh, Kenya uh, to minister with uh, Johnson Wambua and uh, the, his team and the pastors there. And uh, we are so privileged and humbled and happy to have Johnson with us. And so I want you to welcome Johnson Wambua. Yes. Thanks, man. Yes. Right. Good, good. So, Johnson, we went back in 2013, yes. took some guys, Yes. and this choir up here was pretty good, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But, but, but. when uh, you asked us to sing, yes. I didn't do it, but Tunch, Wayne, mm. a couple other guys, Yes. they were terrible. Mm. Yeah. They tried. <laughs> they tried, but they were terrible. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> We have them on recording. I bring that out every now and then just to show them. Uh, yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we met Johnson, and he took us around. And, and uh, when we first met you in 2009, the school, your church, yes. uh, and was burned. Sure. Uh, had been burned down, and, and you were meeting. I just remember a little cubby hole uh, mm -hmm. to the side, and you brought some of the kids there, and mm -hmm. and uh, we had a great time with you. You invited us uh, into your home, and yes. uh, we've had a, we've we we're humbled to be partnered with you. Yes. But just take a little bit uh, mm -hmm. a moment. First of all, Johnson's going to be in the lobby afterwards. He's going to be at Sage picnic on Wednesday. He's going to be. Uh, at another prayer time on Thursday. All this is on the website. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be all, here all week long for Vacation Bible School, so our kids uh, mm -hmm. will get to hear from him. Mm -hmm. And then on June the 30th, there's another event uh, right after church uh, for Johnson as well. So plenty, plenty of opportunities for you to meet uh, Johnson Wambu. But just tell us, take a little time, tell us a little bit about uh, the school because I think that's what so many people here uh, know you from mm. uh, your your school your pastor yes. but the school and just uh, being able to support the kids okay thank you pastor well I come from Nairobi and there's that school he has mentioned this school started in the year 2005 May and they started because as I was walking in the slum, I realized 
there were quite a number of children who were not attending school anywhere. So I asked and inquired and found that we are not able to go to school because of economical factor. And so I took a step of faith and I started with 13 of them, uh, uh, what is called in Nairobi or in Kenya, informal school. Informal school is a school where you help people to write and read and full stop. So we started that. And uh, then 2009, our friends came and then it was never the same again. We started the school, they helped us in the feeding and many children joined the school. As I talk now, the children are 600 in the grade school and 90 of them in a high school. <laughs> yes, thank God for that. It is good to know most of these children come to the church or to the school because they don't have food in their home. We feed them two meals per day, and that is the only meal they get. In the, in the school, in the church, that is the only place they can get to play. So that is one of the reasons. However, we thank God because through that effort, Many children have been um, able to get education. And as I speak now, seven of those children from the slum, church, um, slum area, they have joined university. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God with me. Those children who are useless, who could not do anything, they have been doing very good in music, and many times we are number two in the Ulu Republic. Just imagine from the slum to number two in music. We are doing well. We do uh, cancel the children because of what happens in the slum. In the slum, there is every kind of crime and most of them, uh, they have been affected. So we cancel them, we teach them the word of God, we help them to get saved, and we get, give them education, and we thank God that has been going on well. What we would appeal to you is that you pray for us. Pray for us so that God can give us strength. We keep on helping these children to get the education, to receive Christ, and then to change their character. Because they, in the slum, the character there is of prostitution, the character there is crime, and things like that. But when they come to the church and to the school, we try to help them to have good character, and then to receive Christ. And that had been going on well. The other thing you can pray for us is the space. The, the, the space of the, the school, the space we have in the school is small compared to the number of 600 children. We'd like to have a big space 
so that we can participate in games and sports as we do in the music. Also, pray for us that God can help us get finances so that we can build a better hospital for them. Because you, uh, for those who had been coming to uh, AIC uh, Zion School, you will realize since we started a clinic, the health of the children has improved. So we'd like to build a better hospital because even if their parents and other members of the Islam attend to that clinic and we had been helping them, and this will be a good thing. So pray for us for that so that God can provide and then we can build a better hospital, a better school, and God bless you as you do that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you guys stand with me, and we're going to pray for, uh, for Johnson and the ministry there. And again, we, uh, we can't tell you how humbled we are to work with you. Thank you. It's a privilege. Um, Johnson is um, a man of vision like I have rarely seen. And when you go in his office in the slums, he has, he says, come here and check this out. And he has under a plexiglass his, his dream for the slums. And we were able to, uh, from a various generous uh, donor, help the science lab mm. get built. Yeah, it's going up. yeah, so it's going up mm. and we're excited about that. And again, it's just a it's a it's a privilege for us just to be a small part of what you're doing there. So let's pray for for Johnson and Lord. I, I thank you for this man of God. <clears throat> I thank you, Father, for putting on his heart the 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 calling and the passion and the conviction to minister in a place, Lord, where very few people would be willing to go. I thank you that. A man who has been educated at NIST and could teach and have a church in an AIC denomination anywhere in Kenya has chosen to minister to the least of these, Lord, those going through a cycle of uh, abject poverty. And I thank you, Lord, that you have placed him there, and I thank you for our relationship with him. I stand here with him, but many uh, standing, Lord, have been to Kenya, been to the Mathari slums. They have uh, they've seen it, and they've experienced it. And, Lord, it's just hard to put into words that experience. And so we thank you that we get to be a very small part of a great work that uh, Johnson is doing there. We pray, Lord, that you would bless him, bless his family, bless his kids. I pray, Father, that you would continue to protect them, bless the leadership team that he has developed, the other churches in the slums that he has started. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless the school. And, Lord, let us do our part. Let us generously do our part to make sure that, Lord, the cycle is broken with these little girls so they don't go into prostitution and the little boys so they don't live a life of crime. I pray, Father, that we would be an instrument in your uh, eternal work 
And uh, Lord, we know as we go there and we experience what's going on that uh, the, the main thing that, that is taught at that school is Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. Thank you for Johnson. We thank you, Lord, for getting him here with all the visa stuff. We've been trying for a long time and finally here. And we just pray, Lord, your blessing, your blessing on his life. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be sure to take an opportunity to meet uh, Johnson. He's going to be at a lot of different uh, places over the next uh, few weeks, and uh, you will be enriched by a conversation with him. I can, I can guarantee you that. Father, we thank you for the opportunity now to look in your word. We pray that you would um, teach us as only you can do. We have nothing to say unless it comes from you. Our hearts are hardened and ears dulled by the distractions around us. Unless, Lord, you break through and speak to our hearts. And I pray, Father, in particular today, that you would speak to fathers. Every man here, every young man who one day will be a father, every man who has an influence on other people, every grandfather who is at a different stage of influence. And, Lord, don't let us leave here as we came. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the day was July the 2nd, 1863. The place was Gettysburg, and the battle was for a strategic piece of land on top of a rocky hill called Little Round Top. On, on, the, on the wooded side of that hill, the, the Union from Yankees from Maine and the Rebels from Alabama fought one of the, the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, and many would say the turning point of the Civil War. One of the officers that day was a man named Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Chamberlain was a professor, and after the war he became a college president, and then later the governor of Maine. But on that day in 1863, he was a young commander leading the troops from Maine. Before the battle, a Colonel Strong Vincent, who later died of wounds, he received that day, Explain to Chamberlain what was at stake. And in his book called The Killer Angels, Michael Shera pieces that conversation together. It went something like this. Vincent said to Chamberlain, you are the extreme left of the Union line. Do you understand this? Yes, Chamberlain said. The line runs from here all the way back to Gettysburg, but it stops here. Do you know what that means? Of course. Vincent said, you cannot withdraw under any conditions. If you go, the line is flanked. If you go, they'll go right up the hilltop and take us from the rear. You must defend this place to the last. Yes, Chamberlain said. Now we'll see how professors fight, Vincent said. That day, Chamberlain and his men were out of ammunition but they had to stand and fight. So T Chamberlain strategically split them up into two groups. He put on their bayonets, and at his order at different times, the Union Army came from the sides of the rebels coming up the hill, and they won 
the battle. Many say that was the turning point for victory for the Union. Congress gave Chamberlain the Medal of Honor for quote-unquote conspicuous gallantry. Men, on this Father's Day, every one of you here, we understand that we are in a spiritual battle, don't we? And we understand that we are the end of the line. If the enemy breaks through us, he will take our family from behind. You cannot withdraw under any conditions. You must fight to the last. You know what's at stake. And so just as Vincent looked at Chamberlain and said, we're going to see how professors fight, God looks at each man here right in the eyes. And so we're going to see how businessmen fight for their family. We're going to see how teachers fight for their family. We're going to see how salesmen fight for their family. We're going to see how workers and doctors and architects and engineers and accountants, we're going to see how you fight for your family. And the question is, when you stand before God, and you will, just as sure as I'm standing here today, will He look you in the eye and give you the Medal of Honor for conspicuous gallantry? The answer to that question, you begin to answer that the day of your first child's cry. And you keep answering it and will continue to answer it for the rest of your life. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John as we continue through this study. And as you're turning there, let me set the context of John. John has been telling us that we live in the world. And John has told us that the system of the world, the system of the world is Satan's domain. It is the system that opposes God. Jesus says that Satan is the prince of the world. And so here we have Satan's domain. The prince of the world, Jesus says. Paul says that Satan is the god of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Jesus says in John 10.10 that Satan's mission, his reason for being, is to kill, steal, and destroy. Fathers, that's what Satan wants to do with you. He wants to kill and destroy your reputation. He wants to kill and destroy your relationships. He wants to kill and destroy your marriage. He wants to kill and destroy your influence on your children, your family. Jesus said this about Satan in John chapter 8, 44. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's the world we live in. And right in the middle of Satan's domain, here we stand as believers. I just messed that up. Don't worry about that there. Here's where we stand as believers. And Satan, the lies and the world and the system comes at us. It comes at us from all sides. Every day we stand in this domain. 
And John says, how are you going to stand there? And how, as a father, are you going to know and lead your family from error that barrages us to the truth? John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, John now is an older man. He's in his 70s or 80s when life expectancy was 50s. He is an elder statesman in the church, and when he looks at the church, he wants to protect the church and guard the church and teach the church and instruct the church, and he looks at the church as his family, as his children. He has responsibility over this group. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world." John is speaking to the entire church, men and women, boys and girls. And he is saying, here is what you have to do. First, don't believe every spirit. Spirit here, just think of teacher. False prophets here, a, syn a synonym for what he's talking about. Don't believe every teacher. And the construction of the Greek there is you've already started believing them. You've already started following after them. So we could say it like this. John is saying, stop believing every teacher. When you hear something, whether it's in the church or from the world, you have to test it to see if it is of the truth, to see if it is from God. To test means that you evaluate it. You examine it. You just don't believe everything you hear. We've heard that from the time our moms and dads used to tell us that, right? Don't believe everything you hear. And that's what John is telling us. Test the truth. Make sure you understand what's coming at you. Understand the barrage you are in. Understand that you are in a world that is trying to destroy you and your reputation and your relationship with God. Don't believe everything you hear. Test the truth. But you say, I hear a lot of messages, and you know, even even Christian messages, and they talk about Jesus a little bit, and they look so good, and, and you know, they just present themselves so well. They're attractive. Man, we fall for that every time, don't we? We always fall for what's attractive. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. But you know what? I... I hear this all the time. You know, I, I, I don't know about this person, but they do these miracles. Man, they do healings and all this stuff. And if, if they're doing these miraculous things, they have to be from God, right? Right? They have to be from God if they do these miraculous things, right? Jesus said, Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, John's saying there, Jesus said, it's not possible for them to do that. But Satan can sure put you on the sidelines, can't he? He can render you ineffective. So how do you know if you're buying a lie? How do you know you're not letting the world seep into your heart and if it's seeping into your heart, it's seeping into the life of your family. Three things. One, you got to know the truth. We'll talk more about that in a second. But if you don't know what's real, then you don't know what's not real. 
If you don't know the truth, you don't know error. And so you have to know the truth. Secondly, you have to examine a teacher's lifestyle. You have to examine a teacher's lifestyle. Do they represent the humility of Jesus? Remember what John said back in chapter 2 when we studied that? Verse uh, 15, do not love the what? The world, the system of the world, the lies that the world sends to you, materialism, all the possessions, uh, success, all the stuff that the world, don't believe that. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father can't be in him. He can't coexist with the love of the world and the love of the Father. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And so when you are looking at those who are teaching you, whatever they are teaching, I don't care if they name the name Jesus, you got to make sure their lifestyle actually demonstrates what it looks like to follow Jesus. The third thing, John says, is that you've got to test their doctrine. What are they truly teaching? Look at verses 2 and 3, back in chapter 4. By this, you will know the Spirit of God, okay? There are, there's error out there, but here's how you're going to know the Spirit of God. Every, every spirit, or again, teacher, that confesses, I love the Greek word confess, made up of two, uh, two words, the same and speak, to speak the same. So you're saying the same thing. Confess is to say the same thing as God's Word. Every teacher that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, not the Antichrist, but John just calls false teachers Antichrists, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. John says they are out there. Some of them in John's day were coming and speaking at the churches. In our day, they're on television, they're on the internet, the books you read, they are all over. We are inundated by teaching. We have to know what's true and what's not. And John says, here's the bottom line, here's the basis, here's the foundation of truth. They may not be orthodox on other things, but here's where you start when you are testing fathers to see if that school, that church, your daughter in college is attending is a good church. Here's what you're looking for in their doctrine. Here's what you're looking for in a book you read. Here's what you're looking for in a teacher you're hearing. This is the basis. You're looking for other things because you're going to know the truth and its totality. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's where you start. Jesus Christ, John says, here's how you know, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and is from God. In that statement, John does not waste one word. Let's just go through each one. First, John says, Jesus. In Hebrew, Yahshua. That word means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. Remember the angel said to Mary, you're going to have a child, and you're going to call his name Jesus, because he's what? He will save his people from their sins. God is salvation. So right in the name Jesus is the gospel. God is salvation. It also is his human name. 
Remember in that day, there were Gnostics. There were those who believed that all material was evil, that Jesus couldn't have come in flesh because that would mean he was evil. The docetism during that time said Jesus just appeared to come in the flesh. And John's saying no. That's his human name. His human name is the gospel. God is salvation. But that's his human name. But it doesn't stop there. He's human. And he's also fully God. Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ is not a swear word. Jesus Christ. Jesus. God is salvation. Christ in Greek, Christ in Hebrew, Messiah, means the anointed one. He's the one from God. He is God himself. Every time we hear Jesus Christ, that is the pure gospel. God is salvation. God came in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ has come. We're not waiting on him. He's already come, and he's already completed his work. When John says he has come, John's saying he has come, and remember what he did when he was here. He came, and he walked among us. John said, I touched him. I was with him. I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. First-hand account. I know he has come, and I watched him die on the cross. And we know now when he died on the cross... He died for your sins and my sins. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. He took God's wrath on himself for us. And then John would say something else. You know what else I saw? I saw him when he had risen from the dead. He is Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh. John has already said that Jesus came in the flesh just by his name, Jesus. But remember, he's in, that, he's in that time where Gnosticism, material is evil, was rampant through the church. And so he's going to drill it down again just in case you missed it in his name. He came in the flesh. He is fully God. He is fully man. And he is from God. Everything Jesus did is designed and carried out by God. God. It was God's idea. God loved us so much that he gave his only son so that we could have an eternal relationship with the living God. That, John says, is the basis. That's where you start when you are looking at teaching. Any teaching, anywhere, anytime, whether it's coming from the church or whether it's coming from out there. Jesus, fully man, fully God, Christ, the anointed one from God, he has come and he has done his work and it's complete and I can add nothing to it. And he has come from God because God loved me so much that he wanted a relationship with me and he sent his son. If you want to get down to the brass tacks of what a person believes, you ask them these three questions. Number one, you ask them, is Jesus fully man and fully God? Number two, you ask them, did Jesus die on the cross as a substitute for my sins? There are really four questions. Number four, three, did Jesus rise again from the dead? And number four, here's the kicker, is Jesus the only way to God? Not a good way, not one of many ways. Is Jesus the only way to God?
Now, again, you got to know the truth, or you're going to fall into error every time. And that's bad enough. That would be, I mean, that'd be tragic, guys, if it was just us, right? But it's our families, it's our kids. It's those that God has put in. I don't know what God called you to do, but I know this. If you have a son or daughter, he called you to be a father. And he called you to lead as a father. And he called you to stand as a father. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God. It's different with us. Little children, you're, you're from God. God's, God brought you to himself through Jesus. And you have overcome them. You have overcome the barrage of the world. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to succumb to that. You're better than that. You're bigger than that. Not you, but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we would ask, do you believe God is greater than Satan? And we would say, yeah, but then why do we look so much like the world? That's Satan's domain. God is greater than Satan. Now, I believe that. That's a great verse. I think I'll memorize that. But then why do we look? Why do, why, why do we fall into all the same stuff? God has called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And when we have a relationship with the living God, we know this, the power of the world is no match for God. We have within us, think about this, this is amazing truth of Scripture. We have within us the power to defeat Satan's barrage. We have the, we have the power within us to stand up to anything and everything Satan would throw at us. And we know in Christ we are safe. Here at the Bible chapel, we talk about safe with two S's. We are significant. You men, your job does not make you significant. One of these days, after 40 years of sacrificing your life, they're going to give you a piece of pie or a cake, whatever you want, and a watch, if you're lucky, and they're going to tell you, thank you, and they're not going to miss you on Monday morning. Our significance has to be in Jesus Christ alone. Your security is not in how much you make. There are too many guys who have fallen after the world's system to make as much money as they can because, you know what, Ron, I've got to, I got to provide for my family. That's true. And I've got to take them to Disney World, yeah, and I've got to pay for all their college I hear that with guys who say, you know, I think God's called me to something else, but I can't get out of this. Gallup just did some research. A million workers, 68% said they weren't happy in their job. Now, who are they believing? The one that's greater in them than anything else? Did they follow, did they follow what God called them to do? Or did they follow what Jesus called them to do? And women, I know this is Father's Day, but I want to tell you this. I've talked to many guys who said, I'd like to do something else. But my wife just, she was not for it. She's not in. Now you're a partner. Now you're in it together. And you've got to be following God together. Security is not 
in money or the house you live in or what you drive. That is a lie of the world. Significance, security, acceptance. You don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. You don't, you don't have to speak the same language or be in the same system of the world anymore because your acceptance is not people around you. Your acceptance comes from one person, Jesus Christ. And you are a child of God and you'll always be. You're forgiven. Aren't you glad you're forgiven? We sang one song, we sang a song earlier about the only perfect father. The rest of us, man, we fall short every day. And thank God he forgives us. And then a real father goes and asks forgiveness from his kids and prays that they forgive him as well. You may be a father here today and you may have blown it. And you may have lost a relationship with your kids. And I've talked to some of your kids and they're in their 40s and 50s and 60s and they still have a father wound because there's something in their life that only you could provide but didn't. So you need to go back and you need to ask their forgiveness as you seek God's forgiveness and he'll forgive us. Remember, John's told us he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then one more, we're empowered. We're significant, secure, accepted, forgiven, and empowered. Greater is he, say it with me, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Was that up on the screen or were you guys just being weak? Let's try it again. Not weak, I'm sorry. I didn't want to offend anyone. Is it on the screen? Never mind. Okay. So, we're in the world. We're getting barraged. But here's what we know as a believer. Greater is he who is in us. We can stand alone. And we can stand strong. Not, on our, not because of who we are, but because of who we are in Christ. Now, false teachers are slick, and they know enough truth to deceive, and they may be intelligent, and they may be powerful. But look at verse 5. They are from the world. They are, they, they, they are infected with the world system. They are spewing the lies of Satan. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Isn't that true? The world, non-Christians and pretenders. By the way, you can be a religious leader and be in the world, right? Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that and the Sadducees. The world will flock to people who say things they want to hear. Oprah will love them. They'll be on her show. They're going to buy those books the world's not threatened by that message because it's the same language as the world. You can throw Jesus in there a little bit, but it's the same language of the world. And many Christians will naively fall in line with the rest of the world. We're bombarded. Read USA Today, and you would think, you would think that every teenager 
is involved in promiscuity and that every person has a same-sex attraction and that transgender is normal. Read Time Magazine. You would think taking the life of a baby is as inconsequential in a woman's life as like having a piece of pizza. That's what Time Magazine says. Watch a movie. Every relationship ends up in bed before marriage, living together. And that's presented as the norm. Go to a secular college campus where co-ed dorms invite, invite in the time when hormones are exploding, invite sexuality. And where many professors, not all of them, but many professors are on a mission to rip the faith right out of your child's heart. And you're writing a check for that? I am not saying. I am not saying. I'm going to say it one more time. I am not saying not to send your kid to a secular college. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. You better be doggone sure you have prepared them for that. You better be doggone sure that you have built into their life a faith that is real. Because if they get there on their own, you are throwing them to the wolves. And you better be sure they find a community there where Jesus is taught in a way that is in line with Scripture. You say, well, Ron, I can't make them go to church. I know that. You can't drive there. But you, you do pay for a lot of it, right? There are deals you can make with money. <laughs> and you better be sure when you send them there that you find the Christian organizations that's going to be on them. Because if you don't, then they're going to be one of those statistics that we always talk about of kids who leave the church. Why are all the kids leaving the church? Well, it could be we haven't prepared them. So when they get out, they get bombarded by the lies and the lies sound pretty good. And they forsake the truth. So, verse 6. We're not of the world. We're from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. John says, whoever knows God listens to the apostles. He says us, the apostles. Basically saying they listen to God's word. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John says, this is not rocket science. You can figure this out. By this you're going to know the truth, and you're going to know what is wrong. But men, it all starts with you. It all starts with you. Jack Rusenko, uh Global worker we have uh, supported many, many years. I put a thing together on Friday. Um, Jack has a heart for Muslim people 
uh, seeing them come to Christ. And so he put this thing together with um, evangelical pastors and imams. First time I've done something like that. So went there and interacted. And, and uh, one, one uh, imam, the, the Billy Graham of uh, Islam in the United States, was speaking, this little group. And here's what he said. He said, you know, a few years ago, there was a pastor in the United States that tried to burn all the Qurans. He said, that doesn't make any difference to us. We have it memorized. <laughs> if you're a good Muslim, you have at least one chapter and many, the whole thing. I didn't hear anything else he said because I was so convicted. You got a chapter of the Bible memorized? If they burned all the Bibles, you think we could get together and put it back? As a father, as a leader, do you know God's Word? Do you know the basics of the Christian faith? Do you know what you believe? You cannot impart what you do not possess. We have here the Bible Chapel, what's called Living Grounded. You can nail down. You can nail down the foundational truths of the Christian faith. It doesn't mean you stop there, but you can nail them down. In your sermon notes, there's an email address, Greg DeVore's email address that you can email and get going on nailing down the Christian faith. How are you going to teach your children something you don't know? It is not the youth group's responsibility. We are simply here to help. It is not the Christian school's responsibility. It is not the Christian college's responsibility. You don't delegate this God's going to look at each of you in the eye and me in the eye and say, hey, can professors fight? Now we're going to see if professors fight the battle, right? The other thing, too, is you've got to give your kids the experience of the Christian faith, not just head knowledge, the experience of it. Some of the things we do here at the chapel, like mission trips, I tell you what, I, I go on mission trips for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I go is every time I go on a mission trip, I am stretched. It's, this is comfortable. It's not comfortable when you're over in the slums of Mathari. It's not comfortable when you're in a house church in China. It's not comfortable when you're in the slums of India. And God stretches me, and he says, you think I'm real? I'll show you. So um, real quick, uh, the best cinnamon rolls in the entire world are in Guthrie, Oklahoma. It's where my son and his family lives, Guthrie, Oklahoma, at a place called Missy's. Missy's. Every time we were in Guthrie, we go to Missy's several times. And when Lori goes on her own, she always brings back a Missy's cinnamon roll. That's the only reason I let her go, if she'll, <laughs> if she'll bring back a Missy's. So I'm in Missy's not long ago, and I said, hey, is the, is the owner here? And... Uh, because when I go places, I think, man, I'd love the whole Bible chapel to see this. I'd love the whole Bible chapel to experience this. And so I thought, I'd love the whole Bible chapel to experience this best cinnamon roll in the world, right? So I, I said, is the owner here? And this lady came out. I guess her name was Missy. I don't know. And so um, I said, look, I, this, is a weird, this is a weird question, but you guys have the great cinnamon rolls. And um, would you, is there any, so we this church in Pittsburgh, and that's a long ways away. Is there any way we could get Missy Seminoles to Pittsburgh? 
So she said, ah, let me think about it. And so we had some people here call back and forth. And long story short, too late for that, I know. We, so we, uh, she sent uh, the cinnamon rolls here in dough form. Dough form, right? So, so they cost $1.50 in Guthrie. And by the time the shipping and everything, we were going to have to charge you guys like $7.50 for a cinnamon roll. So it didn't work out. But now we have these boxes, heavy boxes of cinnamon rolls. And so I said, at least the staff, at least our staff will get to experience this. And I was so excited. So they baked them, put on all the stuff, and they brought them out. They just weren't as good. And the staff said, these aren't that good. <laughs> and I was disappointed, but, but you know what I learned from that? Secondhand experience. Just didn't quite the same, is it? How are you going to allow your kids to really experience Missy's cinnamon rolls? You got to take them to Guthrie, Oklahoma. How are you going to allow your kids to truly experience what it means to follow Jesus? You got to make sure as a parent you allow them to be stretched you allow them to see God's goodness. You allow them to see God's grace. You allow them to see God's comfort. You put them in situations where they don't always succeed so that they experience what the good father's like when you fail. You let them go on some mission trips so that they see that this little bubble here we have is not like the rest of the world. How will you let your kids experience what it means to trust in Jesus? Dave Donato led us in a great uh, series through the month of May in 2nd and 3rd John. And you'll remember, uh, he uh, talked about 3rd John chapter 4, where John is writing. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Guys, I want to ask you something. You don't have to answer this. Don't raise your hand. Honestly, honestly, can you say, that's the greatest joy I could ever see for my children? Not what college they get into. Not what dean's list they're on. Not what honors program they're in. Not how many home runs they hit in six and under baseball not how many soccer goals they scored. Can you honestly say, I have no greater joy than to see my children are walking in the truth. Is that your heart? Because you're going to stand before God. He's going to say, I want to see how you fight. We're asking the men here at the Bible Chapel to start a movement. A movement of people who believe that following Jesus is not a tradition or not a religion or not a hobby, but a conviction of their heart. We are asking for you to start a movement within your families. We will partner with you. Dave Donato has got a great series come up in August that's going to talk about how relevant faith, how, how you know what you believe. You don't want to miss that. We're going to have parenting ministries. We're looking at some things to, to redesign the youth group 
to make sure we don't miss anything. We are going to help you, but guys, you have to have the passion in your heart. It doesn't matter how many minutes. We can have ministries running out our ears. It's not going to make any difference unless you have a conviction and a passion in your home. It has to start there. Young men, new babies. I met a couple before the service, baby five days old. If you're a new dad, you don't know what you don't know. And you better lock arms with someone who has been down that journey. Walk with you. Someone who will look you in the eye and not just tell you what a good guy you are all the time, but will tell you where the potholes are, and we don't want to go there. If you're a dad with teenagers, you are in a battle. And any dad with, with a teenager who says, you know, that Instagram, what's that Instagram stuff? I don't even know what that is. Shame on you. That's the battle your kids are in. You better know exactly what it is, how to get on it, what's going on, and talk to your kids about it. Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff. You better know about it. Dads with kids that are older, we're still in the battle. If you've done it right, now a friendship takes place, and you get to walk along this journey, even as a grandparent. That's a whole other cool thing. But you better be with somebody else because you cannot do this thing alone. We want to begin a movement, and it won't be a ministry. It will determine if your heart is on fire or not. We're privileged to have Tunch Ilkin lead our men's ministry here. And Tunch, come on up. Rest is yours. All right. Let's have the brothers come on down. We're going to uh, lock arms and, uh, and close this Father's Day in prayer. Come on down, guys. We're not going to make you do anything weird. We're just going to pray together. And, you know, one of the things that uh, Ron challenged us to is not going through this alone. And, you know, he said he wanted us to experience the cinnamon rolls. I want all men here to experience what it's like to lock arms with other men. Because if you're not in a huddle, a Bible study, or a men's group, or an accountability group, guess what? You have fallen for the lie of the enemy. And so he has challenged us to get in the battle. And there's, a, there's an old song that says, are you ready for the battle? So you ready, men? Yes. Are you ready for the battle? Yes. He challenged us to be part of a movement of God. You know, uh, Blackaby, I think it was, who said, if God is moving somewhere, I want to be there. And I don't know about you, but I have been challenged today, and I want to be part of a movement of God. Are you guys ready for that movement? Yeah. I, I want to hear you. Are you ready for the movement? Yes. Now that's what I'm talking about. So let's lock arms because we want to be the men that God has called us to be. So let's bow our heads in prayers and join our hearts together. Father God, you are an awesome God. And uh, we realize we are nothing without you. And Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that is to purchase our salvation. We thank you that when you bled on that cross, you cleansed us, Lord. So we thank you for loving us, Lord. 
We thank you that you are a good, good father as we sang. And I thank you for my brothers here, Lord. And I pray that each man here would lock arms with other men. Lord, as your word says uh, in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And I pray that every man here would have an encourager in his life. I pray that every man here would have a mentor in his life. I pray every man here would mentor someone else. And Lord, you called us to the battle, and we believe the battle is yours, Lord. And we thank you that greater is you who is in us than, than he who is in the world. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, we would all be men of God. We would have a passion. Lord, put a fire in our hearts and let it burn with passion for you, Lord. Let us be men who burn with passion for your word. Let us be men that burn with passion to lock arms with other men. Let us be men that burn with passion to advance the kingdom here on earth, Lord. And Lord, let, cause us to be men that love you deeply. Cause us men to be, to be men that follow you closely and passionately. And cause us to be men that know you intimately, Lord. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment, Lord. Let us bear good fruit and cause us to know your will for our lives, Lord. Cause us to lead our families the way you would have us lead. Cause us to be the husbands, the fathers that you have called us to be. Call, cause us men to take this challenge, to be part of a movement of God. Seriously, cause us, Lord, not to leave here and be the same. Lord, don't let us just be satisfied with being saved. But Lord, let us be like the mighty men of God of old. And Lord, let us love you, love you, love you deeply. We thank you so much. I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for the fathers and the men and the husbands here. Lord, that I just pray a rich blessing in their lives. And Lord, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. And we thank you for loving us. And we do love you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your precious name, Jesus. And all the mighty men of God said, Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Father's Day. I want to invite you all over the room to stand and join these men as they stay here. We're going to sing our benediction together. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. Come on. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Thank you very much for coming. One reminder before you turn in head for your cars, if you need prayer for anything that is going on in your heart, your life, right now, there will be people available at the crosses and down front. Thank you for being here. Happy Father's Day. Go enjoy your day.